Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. And we waited until Wednesday morning to record the show this week, partially because we wanted the trade deadline to pass, thinking something would actually happen and it was a bit of a damp squib. And uh, also uh, because I intended to stay up all night on Tuesday night and watch the American election, and I basically did that. So if my eyes are tinier than usual, if you're watching this on the video stream or my voice goes at any point, or you just randomly hear a... (laughs) At any point during the show, I apologise now. But we've got a great one coming up for you with our usual good, the bad and the ugly from around the NFL, our likes, our dislikes, our unsung heroes, and we're going to take our pick of the Week 9 games as well this week. Joined by Gridiron Editor Liam Blackburn. Liam, you've got your first magazine off. Are you feeling good about life? Uh, yeah, and then the next one rolls straight around. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a bit full on, obviously, in the season, but I wouldn't have it any other way, Will. Are you beginning to, in any way, empathise with Matthew Sherry, who is a classic winger at any opportunity about the amount of work he's got to do? No, it's it's difficult for me to, to moan about Matthew Sherry, to be honest. Oh, God. The worst. Oh, Absolutely the worst. Oh. <laughs> and the voice <laughs> you hear there, the returning Ollie Hunter. Ollie, how are you, brother? Yeah, good, good, good. Thank you very much. I've decided if you're watching on the video, you'll see my wonderful background because I got some real heat last time for a blank white uh, screen background, which Liam decided to it's go it, with. It's like you've entered a Japanese Zen garden or something. What's going on? <laughs> well, funny you say Zen. I've had the last week off work, actual work, and... Um, I've come back to work feeling really zen. And behind me, if you're, if you're listening on the pod, I've got my fake Japanese maple orange and there's some elephants around. I've got a plant or two. So, yeah, there's a bit of colour. <laughs> elephants, famous I Japanese. The coordination's great between the plant and the hoodie. That's a, that's a really good look. Proud of you. Real proud of you. Uh, right, let's get into stuff. And before we get into the good, the bad and the ugly of the week, let's just talk about the trade deadline, which passed pretty much with not a huge amount of significance. We talked about Carlos Dunlap's move to the Seahawks last week and well, the fact that that wasn't going to kick in until this coming weekend anyway. Uh, they do lose a player on that pass rush to PEDs uh, for the next four games, so the timing couldn't be better. Uh, we do see the Titans picking up Desmond King for a low-round pick, but cutting Vic Beasley. Uh, I mean, the Titans, that's absolute necessity for them, Liam, because they have so many injuries in the defensive backfield. Yeah, and you know the defense, as as we saw on Sunday, and I'm sure we'll get to shortly, was was a real issue. Um, they lead the league in not getting off the field on third down. They've given up like 61, percent which is you can partly blame on the lack of a pass rush, and you can partly blame on the lack of production in the back end. So hopefully they'll get a little bit with that with getting Desmond King in. But I still think there's a big issue with the pass rush, and it could be their Achilles heel this year. And then we see, uh, I'm going to have to come to Liam again on this because he's watched him play for the Jets because he's one of the only people who's willing to actually watch the Jets. Uh, Avery Williams goes from winless to defeatless, goes from 0-7 to 7-0, moving from the Jets to the Steelers. The Steelers needed some linebacker help after Devin Bush went down, although I think the likes of uh, Spillane in particular have got on pretty well. He got the interception this week, Robert Spillane, but has played well over the last couple of games, regardless of that splashy play. I don't feel like having watched a little bit of Avery Williamson, he necessarily is a good coverage linebacker, which is what you need in that Pittsburgh system. So it does seem like it's just a warm body, really. Yeah, hundred percent. He wasn't a, a particular Greg Williams favorite either. Um, he's good against the run as the Jets bizarrely are, but he struggles a lot in coverage. And that was particularly evident on Sunday against the Chiefs when Travis Kelsey had an absolute field day. I would say that Joe Douglas has done a lot of uh, favours to some Jets veterans there. You look at Steve McClendon, who uh, he traded to Tampa Bay, potential Super Bowl team. Avery Williamson, who's gone to Pittsburgh, potential Super Bowl team. Le'Veon Bell was cut and ends up with the Chiefs, potential Super Bowl team. So, you know, if you get cut by the Jets, the likelihood is you're going to go for a, a Super Bowl contender. So, yeah. It's all right for some, isn't it? <laughs> Moving from Adam Gase to Mike Tomlin feels like a pretty good deal to me. Uh, let's get into the good, the bad and the ugly, boys, because uh, there's some plenty to talk about from this week and looking forward. And we'll start off with B-Flow. The Miami Dolphins now 9-7 and seven over their last 16 games, number one in the NFL in points per game on defence. And somehow they managed to beat the Rams this weekend, despite... Two are throwing for sub 100 yards, Ollie. And, uh, and I think they, they were outgained by the Rams by over 300 yards. Special teams, baby. Fumble recoveries. And it didn't really matter that Tua didn't really need to be exquisite. And 
game flow didn't really require him to do amazing things because the defense and the special teams kind of showing up and, and taking the pressure off of him. For the Dolphins, you'd expect Tua to show up a little bit more next week. Liam, uh, it was another Brian Flores over Sean McVay masterclass, which we saw in the Super Bowl two years ago. But on from the Dolphins' perspective, surprised to see that some fans already calling for a move back to Ryan Fitzpatrick despite that. Are they the best team in, in the AFC East now? That's I think a great they, question. <laughs> you really put me on the spot. I, I would probably still take the Bills over the Dolphins. But as, as you say, Sunday was, was a victory for scheme, really. You know, Brian Flores was the defensive coordinator in New England when they stopped that Rams offense so well uh, two years ago in Atlanta. And this, this was just another, another game. You know, they, they have, obviously, the key to that defense is Byron Jones and Xavier Howard in the backfield. But you look up front and they don't really have any standout stars. But Christian Wilkins, the first-round pick's looking good. Um, Emmanuel Ogba's having a big year. And it was one of those where they just had a, a plan in place from playing golf when Flores was in New England. There's obviously a lot of ex-New England guys there in Miami. And they executed it fantastically. Obviously, had the bye week to prepare. I mean, from the Rams' perspective... I'm surprised that they didn't make more adjustments because they would have known what was coming from that New England defense in terms of blitzes. I think Goff was pressured on a third of his dropbacks, which was which is you know is astonishing really when you think that Miami don't really have a recognized star pass rusher, and it's very New England the way that Flores is getting production out of players that have only done little bits elsewhere, people like Ogba, but are now um, flourishing under Flores. I think also when you've got players that worked under that New England scheme, Carl Van Noy, Eric Rowe, etc. It's all kind of marriaging together and, and turning up to be like a, a perfect storm when you're scheming against, like you said, Liam, with the Rams last or two years ago. So, yeah, it, everything fell into place. The, the defence was a, a, a bend-not-break situation as well. Let's allow those yards, but let's not let them into the end zone more times than than we get into it. And and it worked. Now we talk about scheming up and I'm I'm intrigued as to what people thought of our next up on the good list today is the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow having a bit of a day for himself. 249 yards in the air, two touchdowns. And behind an offensive line, which after uh, left guard Michael Jordan, no, not that one, uh, he's not decided that football's his next thing after that weird stint in baseball. After he fell ill on the day, they had none of their opening day starters on the offensive line. Zero out of five of what they would consider now their starting line. They had one out of five. It's an absolute mess of a situation for them. And yet, they were the better team on Sunday. They got the victory. Was this a scheming thing? Do we need to be rethinking Zach Taylor, Liam? Or is this down to an undermanned Titans defence more than anything else? I think the thing that stood out to me, and we tweeted them from Gridiron before this game, the week before, is that they were actually leading in five of their seven games heading into the fourth quarter this season. And it's now six of eight, and yet they've still only won two games. So clearly they're doing something right. Um, it, it wasn't just, as you say, about the offensive line. They, they had... The two tackles were first-time starters this year. Billy Price switched position, the much-maligned Billy Price switched position. But what they do do really well is Joe Burrow is really good on the intermediate to short throws, third in PFF grade in that area, and they got a re- did a really good job of, of getting the ball out quickly. And as I say, they've, they've been in almost all of their games this year, so if they can just convert those and hang on a few times and get the wins, then, then they are going in the right direction under Zach Taylor, yeah. You mentioned the the getting the ball out really quickly, and that's evident in the fact that he was only, I think he was only hit twice out of 35 dropbacks, which is ridiculous. And one of the times that he was hit was the time where he danced around about four or five would-be tacklers and ended up turning a loss of yards into gained yards. He's, he's showing real manoeuvrability, and you can see from week to week, he's a player that's just getting better and better. And he's actually really fun to watch. And that he's doing that without Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon isn't there. So Gio Bernardi got on the score sheet. Uh, Tyler Boyd, he scored a crucial touchdown. Some of the um, the supporting cast, the supporting wide receivers are doing really well. And actually, it's the guy, AJ Green, that you could have uh, stepped up in throughout this season. He's been actually pretty disappointing and almost unsurprising that he wasn't snapped up in the trade deadline day because the drop-off from him, uh, sadly, because I love AJ Green, has been quite stark this season. I think the thing that impresses me with Burrow and what 
makes me think that it's sustainable. I know he's on course for like 4,500 yards as a rookie, which was ridiculous. Is He's not like relying on big plays and massive bombs that sometimes won't come off, sometimes will do. He's he's so intelligent. His movement in the pocket's really clever. He There was a quote from him this week about how the game's slowing down for him. And he... He's just he's just really really intelligent, which makes me think that this is sustainable. But on that point of uh, AJ Green, T Higgins is worth a mention because I think of the rookie wide receiver class. I actually, I had a look through it yesterday, and of the top five or six guys, you'd probably still all project them going to exactly where they've gone. They've kind of been a lot of good fits. Jalen Rager, the only one who we've not seen a huge amount out of, but that's obviously very injury related in that banged up Eagles team. But I think T Higgins is in the conversation for the best rookie in a wide receiver class that has was vaunted as being the best that we've seen in many many years so it's worth mentioning the weapons are there for him kind of across the board while we're talking about positional players being pretty special dalvin cook 200 plus yards ollie it was four touchdowns there is a game coming up on Thursday night where the most injured team maybe in NFL history the San Francisco 49ers go up against a team that they have managed to run on a lot, but have zero running backs of their own to play this week. It's going to be a a weird watch Thursday night football, it feels like. Was Dalvin Cook's performance down to the Packers' run defense? Can anyone do that to them, or is it going to need a special player back there to to produce a a high-end performance? Funny, I think it's a little bit of both, because there have been times when the Packers' defense, especially that rush defense, has shown up. But in six defeats that uh, Lafleur has had since the 2019 season, they've conceded 1,063 rushing yards. So that's 177 yards a game, which is ridiculous. So it shows that when they really drop the ball or, or things aren't going for the Packers, and this happens on offense as well. We see it with, with Rodgers. It's a collective meltdown. We saw it uh, two weeks ago against the Bucks, where it's almost like they give up. They think, oh, bloody hell, there's nothing we can do here. Dalvin Cook was outrageous. He was outrageous. But if you look at some of the touchdowns, the, the long 40-yarder, there were three missed tackles, people running into each other. There was some brilliant blocking, downfield blocking. And and, and I've, I've been the first to slam Mike Zimmer for thinking that he's not actually very good. I don't think he is when it comes to games outside of divisions. But when it's those in-division games, you get to see these teams twice a year. You And it's a big, big rivalry, the Vikings-Packers. It really feels like Zimmer and that Vikings offensive line and Dalvin Cook all turned up. There's a moment where I thought, and I, I really hoped, this is a Packers fan. You never really want to see it as an as a NFL journalist. But Dalvin Cook went down. He went off for a couple of plays. And I thought, oh, here we go. This is it. Green Bay's game. He came back on and he tore us to shreds. I think... He may come up in the Unsung Heroes. If he doesn't, I'll, I'll say it here, but Irv Smith Jr., a real receiving tight end, absolutely dominant on the end of the line, block after block after block after block, which allowed the rest of the offensive line to open up the gaps for Dalvin Cook, and he, he danced through them. It would, if you weren't a Packers fan, it's a joy to watch. Things going badly in the state of Wisconsin in general and the city of Green Bay, Ollie, because as we're recording this, I am still watching the live coverage of the uh, election. Green Bay is the only city left to declare in Wisconsin, which right now is leaning Biden ever so slightly. Do you know why they haven't declared yet? Because the printer has run out of ink. (laughs) The printer has run out of ink. Wow. It's just because they're printed off the Good magazines, mate. (laughs) <laughs> uh, the result is now expected at midday our time we're recording this Brilliant. at like ten thirty in the morning so that is honestly astounding I think that there is a conversation with Dalvin Cook Liam that outside of the multi-dimensional guys so taking McCaffrey and, and Kamara off the table that's not to say that Dalvin Cook isn't multi-dimensional he can clearly catch passes as we saw on Sunday but as a straight running back might be the best in the NFL on his day yeah, there was, it was quite interesting when the Vikings traded away uh, Yannick Ngokwe, uh, Rick Spielman was asked whether they were in a massive rebuild. And he said, when you have probably the top running back in the league, I don't know if you can call that a rebuild. And obviously that was kind of a sort of scoffed at on social media because teams don't build around running backs now. But Dalvin Cook is is very, very special. And it was blatantly obvious what the Vikings wanted to do in this game. They wanted to run all over the Packers. And despite that, the Packers still couldn't stop them. Kirk Cousins attempted 14 passes 
And that was that's the dream game for Mike Zimmer. He doesn't want Kirk Cousins to do too much. He doesn't want to put too much on that young secondary. They want to lean heavily on Dalvin Cook. And, and they did. Um, just going back to the Packers, I was, I was kind of quite curious to ask Ollie about, there was a lot of talk in the tr- about the trade deadline about Will Fuller and getting another wide receiver. And were you surprised he didn't look to perhaps get in a linebacker or, or someone on the defensive line to perhaps help a bit more with the run? I know Blake Martinez wasn't pulling up any trees last year, but he's done quite well in with the Giants this year and seemed to be a good fit in the running game. I'm just wondering whether you were surprised they didn't look. I thought he did pull up trees last year and it was a massive, massive loss. I think he was in the top three leading tacklers across the entire league last year. So when you lose someone like that who is brilliant from side to side, he reads the game well, he's a play caller, obviously that's been a huge miss. I think there are plenty of places on that defensive line in the middle that you could have looked at. Um, Kirk Cousins was only pre- pressured six times, which shows how good that offensive line was. I know he only dropped back 14 times, but still not good enough whatsoever. So yeah, I found it disappointing that we didn't uh, make any moves in the trade deadline, either on the offense or the defense, but it's, it's not entirely surprising. I think Mike McCarthy once said when asked what are the plans for trade deadline day today? And he said, is that today? I thought it was next week. So it shows the, the attitude of, of the trade deadline day in the city of uh, Green Bay, but they probably ran out of ink. Uh, <laughs> just decided they weren't going to do it. If uh, Matt Patricia gets sacked, gets fired by the Detroit Lions, I would have Matt Patricia as the defensive oh, coach. That's brutal because he wasn't actually that great as the defensive coach in New England. No, I'd have him. I'd have him because <laughs> yeah, if anyone, anyone is better than Mike Pettin, and it's clear to see this. This so is this has fallen very much into the bad slash ugly category. So let's move on to that very Sorry, category guys. Sorry. and let's talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers seven and 24 winners over the Baltimore Ravens. Why is this in the bad category, Will? I hear you ask. Well, let's talk about the fact that the game started with four straight turnovers followed by three straight punts and that Baltimore absolutely dominated the Steelers in the first half, going in at just 17-7, considering that the only score that Pittsburgh had in the first half was an interception, a pick six, basically, after 54 seconds of the game. Baltimore were in the position to win. They were ahead. They should be dominating. This is where they do their best work. And yet again, Lamar Jackson turning the ball over in a big game, unable to turn things around late on. Pittsburgh are a good team, undoubtedly, but are Baltimore going to go all the way if they can't win big games with this guy under centre, Liam? It's definitely a problem. And, you know, Matt spoke about it on on your talk sports show on Sunday, even before the game, that there is this monkey on Lamar Jackson's back that he can't win the big games. You look at the last three games that Baltimore have lost to Tennessee, Kansas City and Pittsburgh. He's had eight turnovers combined, four interceptions, four lost fumbles. His combined passer rating is 66.2 when his career passer rating is over 100. And the most telling thing for me was they were in the fourth quarter midway through. They were down by four points, I think it was. And they had a 10-play drive and every single one was a running play. Oh, okay, some of them were, were Jackson scrambles, but there appears to be no no sort of willingness from Greg Roman to put the ball in Lamar's hands at that point and ask him to to pass on the Steelers. You obviously saw the Marquise Brown deleted tweet where he said, what's the point in having soldiers when you don't use them? He was obviously very frustrated that he wasn't getting used. The thing that strikes me with, with Greg Roman is, I think Lamar Jackson is obviously a far better quarterback than Colin Kaepernick was, but there are comparisons with the way Kaepernick came through that first season under Roman was fantastic, dual threat quarterback and no one can stop him. And then teams adjusted and, and Kaepernick and Roman didn't have another answer. And at the minute, even in Baltimore's games this year where they've won, Lamar hasn't looked good. They're, they're 31st in, in passing yardage and they got away with it last year a lot, but teams have adjusted and, and are kind of stopping him as a running threat as well. And until he gets that monkey off his back and proves he can he can win in other ways. I mean, he had twice as many yard, total yardages as Pittsburgh this week, 457 yards to Pittsburgh's 221. But it was the turnovers that killed them four to one. That was that was why Pittsburgh won the game. I wonder if he's got a confidence issue against these bigger teams. It, it definitely, it definitely wasn't a problem last year, was it? Like the whole thing about like they carried more swagger than any team in the NFL going into the playoffs. And it was something that 
all the post-game interviews were so full of it and they were so kind of bravado-led and there does appear to be a different feel and a different approach in Baltimore this year. They are like, they're a five and two team. They are still very much in the hunt for the number one seed for the division. They'd have to beat Pittsburgh in three, four weeks time, of course, to get there now. But yeah, it's, it's amazing that we're talking so negatively about a team because the performances just haven't been there. I forgot to do my favorite stat of the week, by the way, while we were doing Dalvin Cook, because I got distracted by the printer ink thing. So can I just tell you my favorite thing from the Green Bay, Minnesota game? Yeah, so, brilliant. Looking forward to it. Next gen, <laughs> so next gen stats, who uh, admittedly, like the win percentage thing is, uh, the hate that gets on social media is absolutely deserved. But they do a great thing, which is average separation. Obviously, with the tracking of the chips and the helmets and all that stuff, it's, it, they can figure this stuff out. The average separation between receiver and defensive back in the NFL this season is 2.4 yards. Green Bay gave up 200 yards to Dalvin Cook, despite selling out to the run so badly that Carl Rudolph's average separation Sunday was seven yards. Seven! I mean, that is astonishing. I think even, Adam Thielen's... Even, even like Kirk four. Cousins could find a guy who's got seven yards of separation. Well, I, well, the thing is, can he? Is, is that right, <laughs> is that right on the Kirk Cousins it. margin? <laughs> yeah. It needs to be um, 14 yards before Kirk sees it. Yeah. Uh, Adam Thielen, I think, had 4.5 yards as well. Like, they sold out for the run and still couldn't stop it. So, uh, yeah, I just saw that and I loved it. So I came back to do it again, even though uh, we'd already moved past it. Uh, it's fine because we can get me depressed now as well, Ollie. The current cap is, what, around $200 million? A little bit north of that? The San Francisco 49ers now have $80 million worth of starters on IR right now. They have a team that if you picked up a couple of extra defensive backs and a couple of extra linemen, you could start the team that the 49ers have injured right now. And you might go eight and eight, nine and seven. Like it's, it's a team of that yeah. kind of level of injured players. This is as George Kittle with a broken foot was ruled out essentially for the rest of the season, eight weeks, apparently, although he's claiming two. I'm not sure that's actually going to happen. <laughs> then Jimmy Garoppolo, the high ankle sprain, which I think was clearly still bothering him against the Seahawks this weekend and has been bothering him throughout. They may have surgery on it now. They're talking about six weeks for him. So welcome to the Nick Mullins era, everyone. Well, actually, do you think that's him done? Well, so this is, this is the interesting thing with Garoppolo. The contract that they signed was very team-friendly, but also quite front-loaded because they had a lot of cap space two, three years ago. Like when they got this contract done two years ago, they had a huge amount of cap. So Jimmy Garoppolo can be cut this off-season and the dead money for next year would be $2.5 million dollars. There are people who are paying linebackers who are third stringers elsewhere five, six, seven million dollars in dead cap from bad contracts. It is set up that they can move on from him. The concern for me is that without getting to see him fully healthy run that offense for seven or eight straight weeks, we're never going to know whether or not he can actually do it. And that may convince them into keeping him and giving him another try because he's so liked in the building. It's also a concern that you're now going to get a fully healthy Nick Mullins. So we saw in the second half against Seattle move the ball. And I actually thought Carl Shanahan did a better job of scheming in the second half, which he admitted himself afterwards that the scheming in the first half without Debo Samuel there to, to run the sweeps, to offer that extra wrinkle. It meant that they didn't have to, worry about blitzing and particularly the center of the line Bobby Wagner going for the a gap just down after down after down against the third string center it wrecked the game entirely it broke Jimmy Garoppolo it was just it made it almost impossible for the 49ers to put anything together even with trying to get the ball out as quickly as they have been the last couple of weeks if Matt Ryan was available for a second round pick this summer because his contract is so vast. If he turned around to Atlanta and went, I'm not renegotiating. You have to pay me the 40 million. You're going to owe me on the cap hit this year. That doesn't seem unreasonable to me. I probably would move on from Jimmy Garoppolo, but there's not a lot of other players I'd do it for. So Sam Darnold was thrown out there by a few people this weekend. If the Jets go and get Trevor Lawrence, but that feels like you're going to have to rebuild him and build him back up. Don't get me wrong. He'll be cheap as chips and he's probably worth bringing into the building and seeing what you've got there. But yeah, I don't know. I, I am increasingly feeling like Jimmy Garoppolo, if he doesn't come back this year and really impress late on, they could be looking for a, an alternative come this, this summer. I think the thing with, with Shanahan is he, he doesn't need a, a top level quarterback. What he wants is a quarterback to run his scheme effectively. You know, he's had, 
he's brought the best out of Kirk Cousins, Matt Ryan, even RG3. They've all had their best spells under Shanahan as the offensive play caller. So you don't need a, a quarterback to go in there and light it up. You just need someone who's going to be able to stay on the field and, and run the scheme, run the scheme well. Liam, the other team who have huge injury issues are, are the Philadelphia Eagles. And they are now, after beating the Cowboys, you know, not as handily as they probably should have done based on the performance, they are now 3-4-1 and one for the year. And when you consider that after the bye week, they've got that little bit of extra cushion, they're going to have Dallas Goddard, Avante Maddox, TJ Edwards, Jalen Rager, Jason Peters, Lane Johnson, Zach Ertz, Miles Sanders, all back and healthy by that point. They might be outside of Kansas City, the safest pick to win their division. And they've only won three games this season at the eight game mark. And yet Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz <laughs> is the, uh, that's Carson Wentz's German cousin, uh, is um, he might be the most up and down quarterback in the NFL, which is saying something with some of the quarterback play we've seen this year. Yeah, I'm not sure there's been much up this year, to be honest. It's <laughs> bizarrely. Um we put this in the magazine as part of our PFF section, but he leads the league in turnover-worthy plays with 23, which is interceptions, fumbles lost, or, or plays that should be intercepted. So he leads the league with 23. No other quarterback has had more than 13. That is a staggering stat. And yeah, there have been mitigating factors in terms of they've had a lot of injuries on the offensive line and at wide receiver and and when they get back, he, he should be better. But it was this, the same situation last year. And, and Wentz wasn't the problem last year. He was able to elevate the play of those around him despite all these injuries. And it's interesting you talk about kind of contract situations and the one with Jimmy Garoppolo in, in 2021. Carson Wentz holds $59 million of dead cap space next year. So there is absolutely no way that Pitts, uh, Philadelphia are going to look at anyone other than Carson Wentz next year. He's there until 2022. So they need to find a way to work this out. I, I still think there's a quarterback in there, and there are, you saw it on the passes to Travis Fulgham for the for the touchdown. There were three or four passes on those two touchdown on those two game winning drives that that did make the difference. But two fumbles, two interceptions, struggling under pressure. He's turning into one of those guys that kind of like a Jared Goff type. That when things are good around him, he can be someone who elevates your team to the next level. And when things aren't good around him, he can drag you down and be the reason you lose. Like he's very much that level of up and down. It, it does ask the question on the other side, as we move into the ugly, Ben DiNucci <laughs> might be the worst starting quarterback I've ever seen. It was brutal. It was so bad. All right. I know there was some sort of weather system that was coming into the, uh, in, onto the East coast. There was wind and there was rain, there was sleet, there's snow, hail, whatever. But, Danucci was so bad, so bad. Kellen Moore, the, the offensive coordinator, I kind of, I sort of feel sorry for him, but he didn't help himself either. And when you've got a, a, a wide receiver tree of, of that talent in Cooper, Gallup and CeeDee Lamb, surely Danucci can do something to try and find them. This guy is a guy who they were really keen on. Mike McCarthy was really keen on Danucci. He met him in a, in, in a lift, in an elevator, uh, a, a game of Danucci's, and it seems that Danucci has uh, has has charmed him. You've charmed me. It's it. He looked so bad. I think Carson Wentz was lucky that he had Danucci opposite him because <laughs> otherwise Carson Wentz would have been the worst quarterback in performance I've seen. But yeah, not good at all. Um, awful. And Mike McCarthy. I know when you lose someone like Dak Prescott, it's always going to be a struggle. And then Andy Dalton goes down. But uh, serious questions, serious questions have to be asked about the recruitment and the placing of this guy in who isn't going to be starting next week anyway. I mean, they, they can say how much they, they liked him and stuff, but they had Zeke Elliott in the Wildcat for about five plays in the yeah. first <laughs> <laughs> who, who, Zeke Elliott, had never done that in his career before that time, ever. It was really bad. It looked like I watched the game back on the 40-minute um, highlights on Game Pass and it seemed like every time he, he made a pass, it was either should have been picked, always picked. It was so, so bad. But they, I mean, Dallas really don't help themselves. I mean, they had over 40 passing attempts. Only four of those went to Mario Cooper's way. We had one catch for five yards. I mean, what are you doing? Scheme better. There's been previous weeks where uh, C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup have had no targets at all. Zeke's not had a 100-yard rushing game all year. I know there are issues on the offensive line, but they they have to find a way to get the ball in the in the playmaker's hands. Also, Mike McCarthy was asked this week, is there any chance of him taking over the offensive calling duties? And he did it brilliantly for Green Bay for a number of years. 
And he said, no. So Kellen Moore seems to have the job at the moment. I wonder if McCarthy is throwing him under the bus. So not taking over the responsibility when it's, it's really difficult, allowing more to do, to, to do it when obviously the results and the, and the way the game looks for the Cowboys doesn't go the way that everyone wants it to. Uh, they can do that classic thing of um, firing a coordinator mid-season. The head coach takes over and things automatically look better. Maybe that's what's going on. Uh, let's talk about the probably the most talked incident that anyone I've spoken to who isn't an NFL fan has asked me about this week, uh, which is Javon Wims punching a man in the helmet, not once, but twice. And it consistently is the most stupid thing that anyone can do in the NFL. Now, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who he went and did it to, it was interesting because he was on the wind-up the whole game and actually only a play or two earlier had attempted to poke Anthony Miller in the eye. And a lot of people were turning around and saying, that's why he went out there and did it. Like there was this idea from Matt Sherry that he was sent on almost like an NHL enforcer to go and essentially get himself thrown out of the game, but do it whilst riling up the opposition that, that he was being a good teammate in that kind of most toxic way that you can be a good teammate. But fair play to the excellent Evan Sachs on Twitter, who has gone back through the film and found a play from the previous Bears drive where Chauncey Gardner-Johnson actually rips Javon Vim. Javon Vims, I did it again. Why have I gone all German today? Javon, Javon Vims. Javon Vims. Uh, Javon Wims' mouth guard actually like off the one that's attached to his, um, to his helmet. By the way, did anyone notice that DK Metcalf has a child's dummy on it? which I only yeah, spotted this weekend. Yeah, Absolutely ludicrous. So after that, he came out of the game for the third down wins. Then they punted. He then proceeded to sit on the bench for 11 minutes before being put back into the game. And then on his first play back in the game, he wasn't even being guarded by Gardner Johnson. And after the play, ran over to him, tried to rip his chain off or his mouthpiece off. One of the two, a la the... Uh, the old Crabtree um, uh, Talib situation and then punches him twice in the helmet. Like how ridiculous do you have to be as a human being to sit there for 11 minutes planning your revenge and that's the best you can come up with? He's got previous verse as well because uh, 2019 off-season, he was fighting with Prince Mukamura in training camp. So he's clearly got issues i would say but yeah just utterly bizarre as you say for 11 minutes you think at that point you know the red mist would have sort of like descended and then gone away and he'd have had time to, to calm down but he must have been absolutely stewing and just sort of waiting and waiting to get back in there the worst thing was after the the melee sorted itself out or, or was still going on and he'd ex- extracted himself from it he then starts clapping at uh chauncey gardner johnson almost as though yeah yeah i'm great i've done what i've done brilliant 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 it was such a nonsense play and the bears kind of capitulated after that and it's actually a, a bit of a testament to them that they they got themselves back into the game yes rare i know me praising something that the bears do <laughs> but uh in the end it was inevitable that uh, they wouldn't be able to turn it all around completely because they're just not a very good football team matt nagy is your problem there is your big problem, guys, not Nick Foles. The best think, thing, the best thing for Trubisky this year is to not go back in at all because his stock is rising the more and more he doesn't play. I, I think it'll be a wholesale change. I think it'll be GM, head coach, quarterback, rebuild, all of that. The offensive line's a mess. Like There's, there's four elements there that all need changing. I hope uh, all those four elements stay, Will. I yeah, I imagine you do. <laughs> I imagine you do. And let's talk about four straight games where a 16-point lead has been lost. Three of them leading to losses. One of them leading to still a win over Jacksonville, but it's Jacksonville. The Los Angeles Chargers, and we've talked about Anthony Lynn's conservative play calling. Like, we're talking about, like, stripping starving kids of their school meals level conservative. He is... <laughs> Oh, he so has well. he has left them completely, completely in the cold over recent weeks, whilst getting play out of Justin Herbert, which is above what any of us could have expected in the first half of his rookie season. 
And yet they just keep losing games. Uh, Liam Anthony Lynn can't be long for Los Angeles. Yeah, I don't know how to follow up after that Tory gag, but I'll, I'll attempt it. <laughs> hey, look, I'm watching election coverage. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah, as you say, there are four straight leads of 16-plus points. They've also had a, another game this year where they were ahead by double digits against the Chiefs and they lost. Okay, that's the Chiefs. But, I mean, we've talked about it before. This has to be a coaching thing. And psychologically, the players must be getting in these positions and thinking, oh, God, here we go again. Denver had offered absolutely nothing. I, Drew Locke was really, really good uh, on the last drive, but it comes down to coaching and being able to salt games away. You know, this was happening the year before when Philip Rivers was still the quarterback. So you can't put this on Justin here, but I know he, he's made a couple of costly turnovers late on in games, but Anthony Lynn, Gus Bradley, they have to find ways to salt these games away because it's hurting a really, really good, well, not really, really good, but a, a good football team that's record should be better than it is now. Are they using Keenan Allen correctly? gents because you look at the stat line from the game uh, against Denver nine receptions off 11 targets brilliant but they're only going for 67 yards now I know Mike Williams is back and he's he's a brilliant uh, big body guy he he caught a touchdown as well I know Keenan, Keenan Allen caught a touchdown but I see him as more than just a short yardage receiver it seems I don't know whether they're they're getting him open enough, down the field enough. Is he being du- too double covered? He's a brilliant player. I love him. I love Keenan Allen. But I'm not sure that they're, they're using him correctly because when you've got a guy with a big arm in Justin Herbert and he's throwing to potentially two six foot three, six foot four plus wide receivers in Williams and in Keenan Allen, you can't double cover both. So I'm not sure. As you said, Will, with, with Lynn in this scheme, I'm not sure he's even using his best offensive weapon in Keenan Allen correctly. So questions do have to be asked across the board. Yeah, Keenan Allen is a wonderful receiver, but operates mainly out of the slot and isn't necessarily... Justin Herbert is going to be a big um, downfield guy. There's intermediate throws. I mean, the quality on them and the, the accuracy has been absolutely superb, but he's just being forced to do it all himself. And... Yeah. That's not what you need, not what you need when you've got a rookie in there who we didn't have the highest of high expectations for in the first place. We'll do our likes, dislikes, unsung heroes, and we'll pick our week nine games coming up shortly. Uh, first, let's hear from a Super Bowl winning head coach on his thoughts on the this week in the NFL. In association with X-Tech Pads, here is Super Bowl winning head coach Brian Billick. Coach, how are you doing? Are you, are you stuck to the news like the rest of us? Try and do, but try and do it. Uh, don't really watch it right now. I'm going to go about <laughs> my business, maybe talk a little football. Absolutely. I know Will was up most of the night watching it. So you've got someone who's a bit more fresh face, ready to talk football. And um, yeah, focusing on a, a kind of recurring theme for the for Los, the Los Angeles Chargers, unfortunately. 24-3 up against the Broncos on Sunday. 21-point lead in the third quarter. Yet for the fourth week in a row, they blow a lead of 16 points or more. That's the, the fifth time this season they've lost a double-digit lead and they're 2-5. They're and five. When this continually happens over and over again, how much blame has to lie at coach and head coach Anthony Lynn and his staff's door? Well, it's, it's, you're, you may not be responsible, but you're going to be held accountable because <laughs> that's basically, you're right, when you've got that kind of lead, it is a team mentality. It is, falls on the coaches to make sure that the offense and defense are coordinated in a way that when you have a lead, you're doing those things that can that can finish that game off. Not to say it was the offense's fault in Herbert. They had a great game going. He had a good game going. Then he threw a couple picks, and he probably put the ball in. One really wasn't his fault, but maybe uh, that's, again, part of his maturation process of, okay, do I really need to make this throw? What's the cost-risk-benefit ratio of making a throw here as opposed to maybe throwing it away or taking the sack? But but yeah, clearly, I mean, they've got a great young talent in Herbert. They've got to feel good about themselves. But I got to believe Coach Lynn is on a bit of a hot seat. I think ownership, particularly when you have these reoccurring things. And for the players, the difficulty is, and you can go back and you'll look at the film and you'll try to dissect what went wrong. But it's hard now emotionally that when you get into a game and, and things are going well and all of a sudden that bad thing happens for the players, you know, it's only human nature to go, oh, boy, here we go again. And then that that can kind of cascade itself into reoccurring problems. So that's probably the biggest challenge for Coach Lynn right now. That psychology side of it is is huge. And I know that when you were in Baltimore that 2000 season, you kind of banned the players and mentioned the P word playoffs and then, and then Super Bowl when you're in, in the mix for that. I mean, was that kind of psychological tactic that you use to try and affect players' mental mind when they're going into these games? Yeah, you, you try to set a theme. 
an understanding of, okay, what is it going to take to beat this team? You know, we have to stop the run. We have to come up with big plays. We have to get turnovers, you know, whatever it is. Uh, uh, and you do that on Wednesday morning when you have that opening meeting and you, you readdress it, you kind of touch on it. And then Saturday night is your final. Okay. This is what we said we had to do just to kind of bring that final focus. And it's, it was interesting for me to hear the players, whether it was via the media or just talking, if they were mentioning that, if they were regurgitating that, if you will, you know, and saying, okay, they're, they're getting the message here. This is what we have to do. And that will be part of it. Now, it's, it's kind of like a guy that has a fumbling problem. You don't want to just talk about fumbling all the time because then that's all they're thinking about. Uh, the same with the players. You don't want to address it to the point where that's all they're thinking about. Oh my gosh, are we going to, are we going to fall apart again? Are we going to fall apart again? Uh, but there is some psychology to it and helping the players through it. And you just got to get through it. You just got to get that game where you have the lead and you hold on to it and win. Now the rest of that can go by the wayside, but you got to get that first one. Let's move on to Baltimore and that, that game on Sunday against the Steelers. I mean, the Ravens offense put up over 450 yards of offense, twice as much as the Steelers. And, and they come away losing the game, which is, going to hamper their chances of winning that AFC North massively. Um, there is a knock on Lamar Jackson at the minute that he he can't win these big games. We saw the playoff loss to Tennessee, the loss to the Chiefs earlier in the season, uh, and this loss as well. He's had eight turnovers combined in those three games, and his passer rating is 66 when his career passer rating is down at 100. What, what do you kind of see from Lamar in these big games, and what can Greg Roman and him do to kind of get over that hump? Well, and there is a, a little bit of panic, like, oh, my gosh, is he falling apart or is he not what we thought he was? And, and, and a little bit that's unfair. I mean, if your benchmark is what he did last year and anything less than 30-plus touchdowns and, and all those yards and 170 carries and, you know, all, all the winning, that's a pretty high benchmark. Then you're probably going to come away disappointed most years because that was, that was quite a year. Having said that, yeah, he has, he has 15 turnovers in his career, half of them are against the Steelers. So clearly, whether it's the Steelers zone blitz package, their zone drop package, the combination of the two, clearly have got him frazzled a little bit. And, and again, it's again, throwing from numbers outside seems to be his problem from within the pocket. So that was a focus coming in. They wanted to be better. Uh, they're still playing pretty good, make no mistake. And, and that defense, like you said, uh, Pittsburgh he just gave up running the ball. They knew they couldn't do it only ran it like 16 times. They were successful throwing the ball, but that pick six to open the game and that interception to open the half kind of set a tone. And it was a big win for Pittsburgh in Baltimore to win on the road. Yeah, that's huge. And whether it's just the division, the psychological part of it, again, and they're only the only undefeated team in the league right now with Pittsburgh, they're pretty good. And they're probably as complete a team as we have in the NFC, in the AFC right now. Uh, Kansas City, obviously, with that dynamic offense. And Baltimore still pretty good, too. But these three teams are clearly the best three teams. And to beat one of them on the road is substantial. And, and Baltimore, they'll dust themselves off. they got a big one against uh, Indianapolis, who's kind of been sneaky good. I mean, they're five and two. That game really is going to come down to how does Phillip Rivers play. That last game that they had was just the way they want to play ran it better than 30 times, over 100 yards. Phillip Rivers only had 30 throws, roughly three touchdowns, no interceptions. Phillip Rivers, at the point of his career, the more he throws the ball, the more likely the interception is going to happen. If he's in a 40-45 game throw, that usually doesn't bode well. I'm not sure they're going to be able to run the ball, as we saw the Steelers couldn't run a lick against the Ravens. I'm not sure Indianapolis is going to be able to, and if they have to keep up, if that offense kind of gets going, grinds up the clock, runs the ball, I'm talking about the Ravens now, then that might be right for Phillip Rivers to have one of those 40-plus throw, two or three interception games. That's what they have to stay away from. And how do you see the, the Ravens offense matching up against that Colts defense? Because as you say, they're, they're flying a little bit under the radar, but 11 interceptions, they lead the league, second against the run. DeForest Buckner's having a great year. Darius Leonard looks really good. That, that's a really good unit, isn't it? Yeah, that, and, and and it's the turnovers. That's the key coming off the two turnover, or actually four turnover game against the Steelers. That's got to be job one. Now, they're good enough to line up and run the ball. It, with the Steelers, they got to the point where we're not even going to try, and they just ran and, and almost got it done. You know, literally ran down the field to get into the score. Then Pittsburgh responded, got a score. And then once they got the ball back, the defense stopped on that third and two. They got the ball back. They moved down the field got into that third and long, and then obviously couldn't quite convert it. So they did run the ball very, very well. Like you said, they had over 400 yards offense 
And I think they'll, they'll be okay against the Colts. The key will be, obviously, they can't turn the ball over against a team that's as good as anybody in getting turnovers. Just one final one on, on Lamar. Is this, well, as we were talking about with the, the Chargers, a, a psychological issue again, that he knows it's out there, that he can't win the big game. And once he, once he does go into one of these games and plays like we know he can be, then that monkey might be off his back, as it were. Yeah, I don't know that he focuses on that a lot. They're going to hear that on the outside. They'll hold it at arm's length. They'll say they don't hear it, but they do. And Lamar's a pretty strong mentally uh, individual. He's a young man, just loves the game. Uh, I don't think he's dwelling on it. But having said that, you got to win the big games. And uh, whatever that definition is of a, of a big game, clearly when they get into the playoffs, uh, let's remember how many how long it took Peyton Manning to win a playoff game eventually. So you got to keep it in context. But yeah, is, is, would it be defy human nature for them to not to be thinking about it at all? Sure. Let's move on finally to to play calling and, and head coaches and their role with that. Um, we've seen with the, the Jets the last two weeks that Adam Gaze has given up the responsibility of offensive play calling to his offensive coordinator, Dow Loggins. There's been media conversations about whether Mike McCarthy should take on the responsibility in Dallas from Kellen Moore. Matt Nagy's been asked whether he wants to give it up in Chicago. And, and there's been some discussion about whether Mike Rabel's taken too much on his plate from the defensive side since they let go of Dean Pease. I'm wondering where you stand on whether head coaches should have that head uh, play calling responsibility in their area of expertise, be it offense or defense. Yeah, I've done both uh, where I've relinquished it to, to a coordinator or called it myself. I really don't know that it makes that much difference. At the end of the day, your players have to play well. I don't think Mike McCarthy taking over play calling is going to make them necessarily any better uh, or whether it be Adam Gase or Matt Nagy. One of the things you do have to worry about, and I lived it as a head coach, that whatever that level of expertise is, we just saw it with Dan Quinn, who took over the play calling and took over the defense. They weren't very good. When you do that, you know, as a head coach, you're held responsible for all the wins and losses. But if you're also calling plays now, you're going to be held responsible for all 12, 1,300 plays that you're going to call. And every run should have been a pass. Every pass should have been a run. Every blitz should have been a zone. If it doesn't work, there does come a point in a vulnerability where the head coach, if you do take it over and it's more a gesture to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take this thing over to try to get it right. than it is an actual, okay, we're going to be better. Now you run the risk of, if it doesn't get better, then you've got the team and the fans and the owner going, well, this was your area of expertise. If you can't even do this, then why do we have you as our head coach? So there is a vulnerability in that. Uh, that you've got to, you've got to factor in. Ultimately, you're going to be held accountable anyway. It, but having said that, if there is, you know, you can change up the pace of it. Or yeah, sometimes it can make a difference if it just changes. Even if it's a placebo and you do well, and the players, oh, okay, yeah, we're okay now, and now you're off and running. But in each of those cases, and I think it has more to do with the play that's going on in the field. Obviously, the quarterback play in Dallas until that gets solidified. I don't think it's going to make a difference what's going on in Chicago, and, and, and they just can't seem to keep up with the defense. You know, I, I don't know that them taking over the play calling is going to make a big, big difference. I guess as a head coach, perhaps in the pressure ones like Adam Gaze and Mike McCarthy, you, you kind of want to control as much as you want, so as much as you can, because if you know if your position's under threat and you perhaps are going to get fired at the end of the year, you want to know you did everything possible yourself to, to make it a success. And that's part of it. You know, it's, hey, what the hell? You know, I'll give it a shot here, and and this is what I'm supposed to do. Uh, get my guru card back, and, and and I'm this offensive or defensive genius. Uh, but like I said, when that does happen, rarely does it make a difference. And and that's when then you have a certain vulnerability, particularly if you're the head coach taking it over. Now, if you're relinquishing it to someone else, that's all well and good. Uh, but then that's still going to create questions. It's just either way, it's not a healthy situation. That's fantastic, Coach. Thank you so much for your time as ever. Love talking ball with you. Sounds great. Brian Billick joining the Gridiron Show in association with X-Tech Pads. Right, let's get into likes, dislikes and unsung heroes from this week. Our quickfire look around the stuff we haven't had a chance to mention on the show. I'll come to you first, Liam, for your like. Yeah, I think this was originally one we were going to discuss, but it's the Colts' defence. Um Interesting enough, they're actually in the magazine, uh, the X's and O's section we do with Rob Ryan is looking at the Colts defense because the defensive coordinator, Matt Eberflus, was a guy he brought into the league when he was in Cleveland. And he was really effusive in his praise of Matt Eberflus and what he's done this year and, and the kind of 
the kind of coach that he is. And he said, I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago about this, and he said at the time that the Colts will end up leading the league in turnovers just because of the way that Eberflus schemes things up and the the way he teaches players how to force fumbles and, and recover fumbles. And they had a pick six in this game. They lead the league now in with 11 interceptions and the second in rushing yardage given up. And that Colts unit might be the best in the AFC South and that might be why they win the, the division. Yep, I think that's all fair cop. Ollie, what have you got under the like section? I've got uh, DK Metcalf. He's outrageous. That first touchdown where he burns Mosley and then three others and tiptoes down the sideline was so, so good. The second one was a red zone target and just strength, bulk, brilliant timing of the run slant route as well. In the season so far, 680 yards, seven touchdowns. He does it all. I'm going to praise the Seahawk as well. Uh, a game that showed that form is temporary and class is permanent. Yes, Fred Warner has been the best inside linebacker in football this season by basically all metrics. But Bobby Wagner and his performance against the San Francisco 49ers was absolutely ridiculous in a rivalry game with a point to prove. It was the most kind of Seattle of moments to pull out a performance like that. So, Bobby Wagner, you are a special, special man. I hate that you play in my division for a rival. I'm going to do my dislike first. And I'm sorry if I've stolen this from somebody else, but my dislike is the Monday Night Football announced team, who we have had a dig at on this show a couple of times already this season because they're not very good. And Disney right now are trying to bid for Sunday Night Football so that they can get two nights of football when they can't even put together an announced team for one night of football. In the first part, they're bad anyway because Brian Greasy is a dreadful uh, analyst and Steve Levy is a hockey commentator who apparently is a very good hockey commentator, but consistently gets player names wrong, gets just basic, simple stuff wrong, calls big moments badly, just isn't good anyway. But then this past Monday night, they spent a solid three or four minutes of the broadcast trying to justify the signing of Antonio Brown in Tampa Bay. At no point was there a dissenting voice amongst it. At no point did anyone throw up any suggestion that it might be a bad idea outside of using the phrase worth the risk a number of times. And honestly, by the end of the conversation, it went on for so long and was so cloying and was so pro-Brady and so pro-everything that Arians is doing. And no point went, maybe it's a bad idea, that it actually felt dirty listening to it. And it just took them from professionals doing a bad job to something I just didn't want to listen to anymore. So that's my dislike for this week. And I feel quite strongly about it, as you can tell. Uh, Ollie? Uh, I've gone for an entire game. Uh, the Raiders versus the Browns. 16-6, <laughs> the Raiders won. It was awful. I, I love the- slop fests. Give me some uh, rain and some wind every now and again. No, the weather, was, the weather had a, build, a, a real effect on this game. And it, the Raiders happened to, to manage that best. Baker Mayfield... Uh, was errant. There were some terrible drops. Uh, David Njuku's drop was absolute. It was awful. Jarvis Landry only caught four of 11 targets for 66 yards. The Browns only had 14 first downs the entire game. It was a, it was a tough, tough watch. A tough sled of a watch. You needed a sled by the end of it. Yeah, just a few officiating calls really, I really didn't like this weekend. I know we've talked, Will, about the, the Russell Wilson fake slide. It was Jimmy Ward, I think, had the 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 hit on him where Wilson feigns to slide uh, feigns to sort of um, yeah. go past him and then and then slides at the the last minute and I'm not sure what Jimmy Ward's supposed to do in that situation. There was a another one in the Bucks Giants game Monday Night Football where I think it was Cameron Brake lowers his helmet into the Giants defender on the sideline and the the flag goes against the Giants defender for initiating contact with his head. I mean, I just don't know what these people are supposed to do. Um, and it's it's hard enough playing defense in the NFL now without penalties called against them which absolutely shouldn't be there was I mean I saw on Twitter uh, Brian Baldinger and Cam Hayward were livid about the the um roughing the um, the unnecessary roughness penalty that Hayward got on the sideline against Lamar Jackson I I sort of understood that a little bit but quarterbacks are getting really clever with this as well I've noticed there was a, one a couple of weeks ago where Mahomes sort of was dancing down the sideline and then he waited for um McCourty to hit him and then sort of tries to flop out of bounds straight away because yeah, he knows it, it's a flopping. Penalty. It's diving. What Russell yeah. Wilson did on Sunday, as much as he had a great performance, was he drew that penalty. He st- he took the step inside and then went down knowing the contact would come. And it was a perfect tackle in terms of 
led with the shoulder, didn't use the helmet, you know, went low so that he wouldn't affect, didn't go below the knees, but went low enough so it wouldn't be a, a high hit within the tackle zone. Had Wilson actually stepped inside like he'd feigned to, it would have been a perfect tackle. My, I think there is a conversation for the fact that those slow motion replays really hurt the defender in that situation. You have to watch it at full speed to realise how difficult it is to change your decision that late. So, yeah, I did some bad ones there. And I, I've said it for years, but I think um, roughing the passer, anything like that needs to be reviewable as well, as long as they just speed up the, the speed of reviews, which is a topic which we could do an hour on in itself. Wilson, Harry caned it. He really did. Uh, unsung heroes then. Uh, let's go Ollie first. He hasn't gone first yet. In a team that's got TJ Watt, and a lot of good players on the Steelers' defence. Stefan Chewitt had a field day against... All right, it wasn't a, the, the best offensive line performance from the Baltimore Ravens, but Stefan Chewitt, two sacks... A t- sorry, three tackles for loss. Furthermore, three quarterback hits. He was brilliant. That's I'm all good with that. I am going to go with uh, William Jackson the third, the Cincinnati Bengals corner, because as much as everyone wanted to talk about Joe Burrow and their performance on that side of the ball in that game, he completely shut down AJ Brown. Uh, he left really Corey Davis as the only viable regular receiver to go to for the Titans and uh, had an absolute field day with him. And the Bengals defense have had a couple of good performances this year. The second half against the Ravens in a game that they lost by 24 points, but practically shut the Ravens out for almost the entire second half. They were superb. And there are signs of life on that side of the ball as much as there are on the offense as well. And I just thought it was particularly a great performance from Jackson. I was I'm going to go for a kicker because I was worried that someone might steal any of my unsung heroes. Maybe I figured I was going last. Yeah, Jason <laughs> Sanders of Miami. I know um, Ollie mentioned special teams earlier and Sanders is the only kicker this year that's 100% on field goals and extra points. 15 of 15 on field goals, 17 of 17 on extra points. And that is so important when you, you've got a good defence. And as we talked about with the Patriots, you know they, they had Vinatieri, Gostaisky for so many years that, that got them those points regularly and it's huge for Miami and he deserves to be in the conversation with Justin Tucker with Buck uh, Will Lutz is one of the best kickers in the league yeah great shout uh, let's that. just let's give a shout for our games to watch out for in week nine as we're coming out later in the week uh we're not doing a full preview pod there are other people that do that in more depth than we could here but uh just guys just give me a game that you're particularly excited about this week uh, ollie and i have discussed our possible shouts because he asked me which ones i was thinking of so liam we'll come to you first this time so you don't feel like we're stealing yours away from Thank you, mate. Well, no one else was going to go Jets Patriots. No, I'm not going Jets Patriots. Um, <laughs> oh, we uh, could have been there as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go for Colts Ravens. You know, we've discussed Lamar Jackson earlier on in the podcast. Really looking forward to seeing how he gets on against that Colts defense and what they do. And, and kind of, as we mentioned with the Colts defense, looking at how they try and shut down that running game because Baltimore have had over 100 rushing yards in, in 30 straight games now. And if anyone can stop them running the ball, it might be just be the Colts. Nice, yeah. Ollie, what game are you particularly looking forward to this weekend? I love that. It's the Colt Derby, isn't it? The uh, the, <laughs> the Ravens and, and Colts. The Cardinals going up against the Dolphins. I was a massive detractor of Kyler Murray when he first came in. He's I'm taller than him. He's five foot one. Um, but I love watching him play. I love watching him play. I think DeAndre Hopkins is the best all-round wide receiver in the league. So, And uh, Larry Fitzgerald's there as well. Um, going up against that Dolphins special teams, Jason Sanders. No, uh, Tua, let's see how he gets on against the, the Cardinals who've had a, a week off to prepare for Tua. What will Flores do? What, it, it's a really intriguing game for me. So Cardinals, Dolphins. What I love is that we've gone for some slightly hipstery picks. Nobody's taken Buck Saints, which is, for the first time in a couple of weeks, an astonishing uh, primetime game that's going to be absolutely and completely worth watching, uh, which hasn't necessarily been true for a few weeks now. So that's worth a mention. I had two that I really liked uh, that I, I kind of flagged up that... I think are going to be worth a watch because of where the teams are right now. Thinking that one of you guys might take one of them. Titans Bears, after what we saw from both those teams this last week and from what we've seen from the Bears the last two weeks, they're desperate to get back onto their kind of their their winning run and they're going against the Titans defense we've talked about. Looks undermanned at the back end. They won't get Desmond King yet before this weekend because of COVID protocols and 
that is lacking in pass rush as well. So can they start to put something together? And the Bears defense is actually a decent unit. So I've got a possible upset win there. And actually, I think Bill's Seahawks for not a dissimilar reason in that Josh Allen's threat with his legs will force the Seahawks to not blitz every single bloody down like they did against the 49ers. <laughs> so can that defense actually operate to a decent level against a quarterback who is as hot as co- hot and cold as, as anyone in the league this season? So those two are the two. I pick two and I don't care because uh, I'm in charge. Boys, top work as always. Thank you so much for listening. Check out our YouTube channel. Um, due to our... Uh, the election and various other bits and pieces. We didn't do a waiver wire report this week, but we're going to do a starts and sits on the YouTube channel for fantasy uh, with Pete Rogers from fake teams. Keep an eye out on that as well. Uh, all these socials, the brilliant work they're doing at gridiron and at UK gridiron uh, since our crack new social team have taken over the quality level has uh, really taken a step up, particularly the jets trolling. Uh, and uh, otherwise, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. This has been the gridiron show. <laughs>